News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorker's podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city. I'm Dr. Christina Greer here with Harry Siegel for a rundown just for some of the news from another jam-packed week in New York City. Hey, Harry. Good morning, Christina. So we're recording this on Monday morning. Eric Adams, who, of course, we'll be talking about, is now doing his off-topic Mondays. It's the one time a week when he takes off-topic questions, uh, nominally, this is a this is a big news source, and it, it's a little odd for us to record straight ahead of that. That's why Katie isn't here, by the way. She's on her way to it. That said, I found that these tend to be not terribly useful sessions because they're crowded. Too much information comes up. There's always something new that Adams is looking to introduce, and the questions lag over the things that have happened over the previous week. So. That's part of how the mayor's press strategy and how he's sort of trying to control and squeeze information. Uh, We'll talk a bit more about that, but let's get to this week. 60-day eviction notices for migrant families and shelters are going to start coming due on Tuesday with the prospect of parents and kids and schools being left in the cold as those uh, families reapply for places to stay. Governor Hochul has started laying out her state of the state agenda for 2024 which reportedly is going to be focused on affordability, even after her ambitious housing plan last year went nowhere. Her agenda also includes a statewide shift to phonics-based English instruction, matching a change already implemented in the city by Adams Education Commissioner David Banks. Speaking of Adams and schools, he'll be returning to Albany later this year to push for, among other things, another extension of mayoral control in New York City schools. As listeners may recall, he went up right after he got elected for that, And they only gave him two years, and they gave him a little less control than he'd had previously. It seems likely that we could have another cycle of that, where his control is a little less strong, and it's only another two, three years coming this year. We will see. RIP The Shack, as the NYPD has moved reporters out of their longstanding press room in one police plaza into a trailer. We may have more coming on that soon in an off-cycle episode. Um, That move comes as City Hall is expected, speaking of cops, to veto a bill passed by the City Council that would require police to lock stops for lower-level stops, a bill that passed with overwhelming support in the City Council, but the Mayor Adams says would stop police from fighting crime because they'd have to do more paperwork. The bill passed with plenty of votes to override a veto. As City Hall has already said, it's not going to implement the expansion of the City FEP's housing voucher program that the council passed over his veto last year. The administration saying the loss costs would be prohibitive, and it's inviting the lawmakers who passed this law to take City Hall to court if they want him to implement it. Chrissy, there were no vetoes at all under eight years of Mayor Bill de Blasio. So I got two questions for you. What's happening now between Adams and the council and within the Democratic Party that we're having these sorts of fights? And... Related, what's up with this exceptionally personal war of words um, between the mayor and public advocate Jumani Williams, who was one of the uh, writers of this bill? And Mayor Adams says, ah, he lives in an army base. Forget about him. Jumani responded by uh, calling the mayor all sorts of names, holding him 
you know, an press event to do this and saying, doesn't he live in New Jersey? Right. Okay. So I'll start with the Adams v. Adams and the city council. You know, what's frustrating here is that, you know, oftentimes there's like the meeting before the meeting. So when we get to the meeting, we can just vote and keep it pushing. And so clearly we've got a really diverse array of Democrats in City Hall right now. And the mayor isn't interested, it seems, in having that meeting before the meeting to like count these votes, to work with Adrian Adams to say like, okay, well, when we get there, let's at least put something forward so that New Yorkers can see that we're all working. We've compromised on some things. Legislation can get passed and we don't have to play this passing veto game. Because whenever we have these instances, Harry, and I've said this a thousand times, the only people who lose are New Yorkers because legislation gets stalled. We start getting into personal attacks. And this mayor obviously has a lot on his plate and a lot on his mind. And so I can't tell if this is political posturing or if this is real policy positioning where he feels very strongly about certain things. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, Listen, I don't think that anybody should do paperwork all the time. I despise paperwork. I can't stand emails, can't stand phone calls when it comes to stuff like this. But there has to be some sort of accountability. And we know that, you know, this mayor's primary identity is as a police officer, more so than, say, a legislator or an executive. So that is part of the struggle. And I think that's what we're seeing with this this kind of veto. And I don't I don't see a lot of wiggle room, uh, especially since, you know, the mayor made the cops upset when he sort of started slashing budgets across the board. So this is, I think, an olive branch and a way for him to to kind of get back into, dare I say, his resting position, which is that of a police officer. The Eric Adams, Jumani Williams, I mean, I think we we knew that this train was going to pull into the station at one point in time. Uh, it's taken a long time for it to pull in the station. I think, you know, there are some, and as I've alluded to several times on this podcast, there are many layers of Black leadership and Black executive leadership that are very complicated. You know, we've talked about Al Bragg and Damian Williams, and, you know, we can talk about Jumani and Adrian Adams and Eric Adams. Like, those are just, Tish James, those are just six people that I can kind of rattle off as far as very diverse Black leaders, and it's very complicated how they interact with one another in this very white media space. Um, in the white gaze, uh, the diversity of Black people who want and don't want certain things. So the relationships are complicated, and how we talk about one another in public can be very nuanced. Um, Sometimes it can be um, coded. (laughs) Sometimes it can be in ways where it's like, you know, I think I've held back on, you know, dare I say, shitting on Eric Adams because, like, he is a Black executive, and I know that he sort of gets an unfair advantage or disadvantage certain times with members of the press sometimes. Um, So it's like, so I'm trying to calibrate all of that. And I think Jumani Williams has been calibrating his critique of the mayor in very specific ways. I know Bill de Blasio's like, you know, they're not being as mean to him as they were to me. Stop it. Um, it's, It's more complex than that. And he should know that, but he doesn't. So that being said, this now war of words between the two of them has possibly opened up a Pandora's box, or it's kind of let them both have a little bit of performance theater and kind of get things off their chest. And then one of two things will happen. Either they don't mess with one another again, and we've now, we're we're just going to be open season, a little war of words, and it's just going to, people who are going to lose are New Yorkers, or they've kind of gotten it out of their chest and 
they'll figure out a way to work together for the sake of the city, but also they both recognize, both of them are smart enough to recognize what it means to be a Black leader in the city. And this is not a good look. Like, they don't have the luxury, the privilege. They know that they can't behave like de Blasio and Cuomo. They know that. They're that's they're Black men in America of a certain age. They they get it. Um, so either they'll pull it together or it's just going to be a way for both of them to stay in the papers and get more press and ink. See, I want to get to migrants, uh, but I want to touch on the Bronx first. And two stories I, I we don't have any real intel on, but are interesting. And you may or may not. We did not discuss this beforehand. So just throwing it out there. And these are, one, uh, Keith Powers getting, surprisingly, abruptly uh, replaced as majority leader on the council. Um Keith Powers of Manhattan by uh, Amanda Farias of the Bronx as the uh, majority leader. Um, Adams, Adrian Adams, says that this is largely because uh, Farias will be on the council for another six years with term limits. Powers and her uh, have one more term. And, uh, you know, these two years, and they're going to be gone. So that was a surprising shift people didn't see coming. And then Latoya Joyner, an assembly member from the Bronx just sort of uh, abruptly said she she's bouncing for another job. She hasn't said what it is yet, but it's not a uh, governmental job. Um, she had been the chair of the labor committee. And so those were two interesting stories. I don't have much insight on, uh, but I'm curious if you have a, a perspective on what might be happening with either or both of those things. Yeah. I don't know, Harry. I mean, I, I buy the two-year, six-year story, um, but it does seem a little um, different from the way Adrian Adams has, I feel like, kept a relatively tight ship. Um, and this kind of came as, I think, a big surprise to a lot of folks. Yeah. So I don't know if there's some scuttlebutt that I'm just not privy to because, you know, I've been on vacation and kind of not really paying attention. Um, I do think that, like, they're... You know, we always cross a certain threshold where now people start thinking about not just the present, but like obviously the future of political jockeying, right? And so then it's going to, pretty soon we're going to have conversations. Who will be the next speaker, you know, after Adrian Adams? And like, we're already starting to float names around. And I I don't know, you know, you use the phrase, let's not get ahead of our skis. But I think sometimes we can do that. And maybe sometimes it is just what it is, but I don't know. This story feels like there's some layers to it that I just, that I'm not privy to. Same. You know, like, it's just like, okay, well, there's something else. Um, and hey, listen, time reveals all things, as we know. Um, as far as uh, the second piece, that I really don't know. Like, I don't know why someone takes a job and then immediately leaves a job. We see that a lot of times in academia, people are allowed to do that. but. Um, Again, I feel like time will reveal all things when it comes to that. I do think that, like, and I've written about this a lot in my Amsterdam News column, I just feel very unmoored when it comes to New York City politics right now. I feel like there are a lot of moving pieces and tectonic plates that are shifting that, um, it's kind of like Iceland, like the land of fire and ice, like, you know, there's volcanoes on top and glaciers on the bottom. I feel like New York is Iceland right now. There's a lot of stuff moving and brewing that 
um, seems kind of localized, and pretty soon we'll all be privy to a lot of the various uh, political jockeyings and ambitions and uh, issues that people have. Um, Calculations, right? Yeah. We're we're in a weird period where, you know, Adams is at 28%. There's strange things going on, but it's not clear what the normal is or ought to be for an incumbent. Not a period where pretty much everyone is angry about everything straight through, you know, democracy and all of our institutions. Well, what does a new normal look like? Right. I mean, you know, I keep saying it's like I, I'm struggling to focus on 2025 when I'm so concerned about 2024. And I don't think that I'm alone in that. Um, we have a unique type of leader of the city, but we're also in a unique moment, right? We also know that COVID's making a comeback big time. So, like, how does that work in our calculus of leadership with Eric Adams in the long run? You know, we still have Scott Stringer hanging out in the ether where stories are being written in city and state about, like, okay, well, is he just sort of preparing, like, listen, fortune favors the bold, right? I might challenge a Democratic incumbent as a Democrat. Like, these are all these unknowns um, that in the past, it's like, well, if they hit sort of this time period, then this thing will happen and this thing won't happen. And I don't know if we can have those same calculations in this political moment because so much is happening on the national level. So much is happening in New York City. Um, you know, I don't know if I really believe polls the way that we used to believe polls, right? No one's ever called my cell phone. So... Who are we asking? How are we asking them? Does it matter how you feel in January of 2024 when you go to the polls in June of 2025? A world can happen between now and then. Um, And we're also not dealing with a political novice. So we are dealing with someone who's got a lot on his plate, personally and professionally. And we are dealing with someone who I think can let his ego get in his own way. So, yeah, I don't, I can't call it. And this is... I think the frustrating piece, Katie said, you know, it's like I'm not supposed to be a psychic, but I do think that there is a way that political science has led me into understanding politics. And the science portion in this particular unknown moment is making the politics analysis a lot more complicated, difficult, and unknown. So speaking of fast-moving variables— and human beings and where we're at, we have these eviction notices that are coming. They were originally going to start just after Christmas. And what I'm not certain, but take to be just a ineptness from the Adams administration, because they chose when they announced the 60 days. I don't think they did the math. Like, wait a minute, we're going to be telling families to leave, you know, literally the day after Christmas. So they put that off. Those 60-day notices are now coming due for families starting up the row, starting tomorrow. Um, This is happening as Adams, again, is at 28% in his approval rating. He's saying that a lot of this has to do with the migrants and the strain they put on uh, the city and his administration and the moment we're at. He's also claiming great success with these notices and how those worked with single adults, like people who are here without children, because the vast majority of them did not reapply for shelter placements. It's not clear that will play out the same way with families. It's also clear that many of the people who didn't reapply are still in New York, uh, that some of them are sleeping in makeshift accommodations. 
the, this comes with its own set of problems and concerns. There's a piece in the Daily News today by Brad Lander, an, another person Adams has bickered with, and uh, my council member Shahana Anif, uh, talking about how cruel this policy is. We're going to see, of obviously in practice, and as they slowly have these notices come due in the days and weeks to come, how big an impact this actually has. But the close here in this very difficult position where, you know, Adams is trying to handle this while pushing a Democratic administration in Washington very hard and without a ton of support, with Kathy Hochul mostly keeping herself at arm's length and the rest of the state at arm's length from what's happening here. How How is Adams doing morally and politically on these terms? And how important do you think that is for most New Yorkers as they're considering his administration and leadership? And once we get through 2024 and whatever unknown events, you know, is this the sort of thing that, that if you're a mayor, you can take a deep breath and say this will sort itself out in due time? Or is this uh, an urgent crisis or is it something of both? Yeah. I, mean, I don't know, Harry. I mean... I think some people see migrants more than others. You know, the mayor has clearly made it like this is his cause, right? I don't know if that's a winning strategy. I don't think it is. But, I mean, he's clearly, you know, this is the the thorn in his craw. I mix metaphors, but you know what I mean. Um, and he talks about it a lot, and he blames a lot of people. But it's like, I don't really care about Kathy Hochul and Joe Biden to a certain extent. It's like, you are the mayor, so I need you to figure this out. That's why you live in Gracie Mansion. Wink, wink. Um, and I don't. So the mayor is sort of, I mean, every day he's like, you know, we don't have this because of the migrants. And he's he is literally setting it up as an us versus them. Um, but I do think that certain New Yorkers see migrants a lot and others I mean, they're hearing about it, but it's not affecting them in any portion of their life, right? Some New Yorkers are having hard conversations about, are they going to live in our neighborhood? Are their kids going to go to our schools? Other people are kind of like, yeah, well, they're obviously nowhere near us. Um, and I am I would be so curious to see a map of sort of high-propensity voters and migrant relocation. I would love, hey, Steve Romalowski, can you do that for us with your brilliant mapping? Um because I, I do think that, you know, if we were Bloomberg, he would say, like, listen, I'm going to put them where I put them, but I'm definitely not going to put them where people vote, no matter whether they vote democratically or Republican. Um, that's just how his his political brain worked. So I don't know, Harry. I mean, you know, I was really offended by the insinuation that, you know, crime is rising because we have migrants. And it's, you know, in political science literature, I mean, every urbanists will tell you that immigrant communities, especially new immigrant communities, tend to be the least likely to uh, commit crime because they are the most vulnerable and they don't actually want to have any interaction with uh, law enforcement whatsoever. So, like, that's actually one of the safest places to be. So this insinuation, you know, you know, the mayor likes to sort of say things with no no footnotes, no citations. Um and I felt like that was one of those statements that was just thrown out there without a lot of backup. So the Post has a headline today, Migrant Mob. They've been waiting for that one, I believe. I'm sure. Makes grab for $5,300 in designer sunglasses from uh, Bloomingdale's. And they, one person 
was arrested at the scene by an off-duty cop who's doing security there, who presumably is a migrant. But what's jumped out at me is there's nothing else in the story indicating how they know the other people are migrants. There's not even a, you know, background police sources said suggestion. It's just flatly stated in the headline with no explanation. Uh, the post, of course, has been Adam's paper of record in some ways. Mm-hmm. And background, many of these things, well, but pressing him on some of these issues. But what really grabs me is that he is trying simultaneously to say his end of the year message is jobs are up, crime is down. And He's saying we have crime. Jobs problem. up, crime down. Yeah, I, uh, I, I know, I know. Uh, uh, G's up, etc. Um, and and I know Adams has had that thought just from that formulation. Respect. I'm surprised uh, it's not his opening theme music when he walks into the room. Oh, jobs up, crime down. Ooh. I'm helping him out. Simultaneously, he suggested at numerous points that we have crime problems because of migrants, that we've got all over twist style pickpockets, mm-hmm. all these things happening, but also crime is doing really well. The crime control is doing really well on his watch. Right. And there's a, uh, a, a sort of complex incoherence here that's interesting and, and, and sort of reflects on Adams with these very lousy poll numbers, how he is often leaned into being the bearer of bad news and saying, I've done everything right, but there are these problems that are outside of my scope that need to be dealt with. And that's often seemed like his strategy, even as New Yorkers don't seem to be entirely on board with that. It's a tricky balancing act. And even now, you know, there's this this question like, well, well he's vulnerable, but who, who would challenge him and how? Scott Springer just had a reunion of his staff which I think led to that latest round of uh, rumors. He's been talking with political consultants about what he might be uh, doing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, doesn't Eric Adams always have the contradictory tone, right? Oh. Like on the one hand, he's always like, you know, this city is filled with crime. You know, we've got to double down and quadruple down on policing. And in the same breath, he's like, and it's super safe. And it's because of me. And I'm like, well, well, which one is it, right? I mean, so he's he's always had this um, dichotomous relationship with how he talks about New York City as this, like, hellscape on the one hand, but, like, super safe because of him on the other. Like, it's, it's a little Jekyll Hyde-esque. Um, and I get that, you know, he's framing a narrative and creating a narrative because on the one hand, you want to sort of, like, scare people into needing more policing and thinking that he's the one who's going to come and save us. But on the other hand, it's like, oh, right, he is the one who's saving us, so I shouldn't fear anything and I shouldn't want any anything else. Um, I am curious, though. It's like there, there are a lot of critics of the mayor, but I'm just sort of like Wilson Goodstyle, and those of you who grew up in Philly, I'm wearing my Eagle sweatshirt right now. Um, but those of you who grew up in Philly or know anything about Mayor Wilson Good, the first black mayor of Philadelphia, you know, he'd always say, you know, if you fail to vote, you forfeit your right to complain. I don't necessarily agree with that, but, you know, there are a lot of critics of the mayor. And I'm like, but did you vote? Do you plan on voting? Do you have a voting plan? So I'm trying not to get distracted by people who are like, this mayor is the worst. And here are all the reasons why. And I've done all this research on why Eric Adams is problematic. And I'm like, did you bother to vote? Do you know anything about ranked choice voting? Are you planning to vote in 2025? And the answer is no, no, and no. So the the loud folks 
aren't necessarily the voting folks. And I'm curious about the voting folks um, because that actually changes how Eric Adams behaves. I think he's very clear that a lot of his critics actually aren't in the voting pool. And that's why he's sort of like not as um, panicked as one would assume he would be with 28% approval rating. And an FBI investigation we haven't even mentioned. Oh, right. Oh, right. Forgot about that. I mean, and, you know, and don't forget the Thanksgiving Day Survivors Act, you know, when that dragnet came and snagged Eric Adams, Andrew Cuomo, Axel Rose, Puffy, Ross Brand. I mean, like, you know, that actually is still hanging out there. It's not a, a big deal. And a lot of people don't feel it's super credible and have largely ignored it. But, like, let's be clear. He's got a lot on his plate when it comes to critiques of his administration, the people within his administration and hires, um, you know, the story that came out with all these sort of special folks who were making crazy money. And it's like, what do they do uh, in the city? Um, You know, reshuffling the budget, taking money away from lots of institutions that are beloved. So, I mean, there are a lot of ways that, you know, folks are upset with this particular man slash administration, but are they voters and are they planning to vote? Is the question. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned. FAQ. FAQ NYC is part of The City, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard hitting journalism that serves the people of New York. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to support our work is by setting up a monthly recurring donation by going to thecity.nyc/slash give. As ever, FAQ's work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc. The pod also receives support from PT Knitwear, an independent bookstore, cafe, and event space on Manhattan's Lower East Side, with a podcast studio that can be freely reserved for community use. The podcast is a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists, and is affiliated with the Colin Powell School at CUNY City College, where I am one of the Moynihan Public Scholars inaugural fellows. Our hosts for this episode were me, Dr. Christina Greer, and Harry Siegel, who's also our executive producer. Our engineer is Adam Kamara. Thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, I think be warm, and we'll be back soon with more.